Welcome to my new series, Words Matter. In each episode, I chat with someone I admire. I ask them what word matters most to them and why. Simple question, but a complex answer. But we take this word and look at how has it shaped their life and their career. In doing so, we also uncover life lessons that we can all apply to help us get to where we need and deserve to go. And on this show, you'll discover why the word relentless is the lifeblood of achievement. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of the platform Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. I cut through the chaos and confusion to focus on what matters most to you, your family, your livelihood, and community. And on this episode, I'm chatting with Suleiman Ahmad, someone who I admire on so many levels. This person has an incredible relationship with his family. He pursues the truth. He not only sort of joins a cause or writes a check, he leads them. And on top of all of this, he's an exceptional entrepreneur. And for those who know and work with them, they know Suleiman as Yoda. Now you might ask, why Yoda? Well, Suleiman is the co-founder of Servo Annex. Serves as a digital educator, a Yoda. He sits with presidents and CEOs and senior executives and people in YPO. And he helps them accelerate their digital learning curve so they're not left behind. Suleiman or Yoda, welcome to Word Matters. Thanks for having me, Tony. I really appreciate it. Well, the first question I have to ask you is what word matters most to you and why? I've never been asked that question before, but if I had to pick one word, I'd say relentless. Um, and the reason it means a lot to me is I think it means when you have to push some forward for something that matters, whether it's as an entrepreneur or family or relationships or business or advocacy work, it means to keep going when everyone's telling you to stop or telling you it's hopeless. Yoda, a lot of times when people are kind of working that way, sometimes they're you know, considered eager or over anxious or obnoxious or don't work so hard, you're making me look bad. How do you still apply relentless in that kind of circumstance of where mediocrity seems to be where the bar is? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think I had to learn that whatever was my 100% may not be other people's 100%. So you ask for people to do what's their best. Um, and, and I also understand that not everyone can operate at the same pace and, and you can't. So there were times, Tony, when I had to pause, doesn't mean stop, but it means pause and recharge and then keep going. And you have to give other people the ability to do that as well. I saw a tweet that you had out one time, uh, saying losers say little winners say even less. What did you mean by that? Um, I heard that from a hockey analogy and I know, I believe you're a Habs fan like me, um, where one of my clients actually played in the national hockey league. He told me that. And it's that if you succeed, don't gloat or brag about it. And particularly if you lose, you know, take it with humility. And if you win, take the win with humility. So sometimes you see that whether it's in business or sports or politics, like you never see the, the greats really gloat or show off when they have a win. It's just business. So talking about being a big Montreal Canadiens fan, Blue Blanc Rouge for all of the people in that fraternity. Yeah. Uh, I saw this. this story in full when you're heading on a father-son trip to Boston to see a game and something happened at the airport. What was it and what did you do about it? Well, uh, it came by accident. One of our friends and a client of ours, Nevin Marquardt, who ironically played for the Bruins, invited me and my son down to the Winter Classic, it was December 31st, 2015. So just almost five years to, to today. And um, our little guy, since he was born, because of his name, was on Canada's no-fly list. And we, we tried, Tony, the regular things like contacting government and doing that, but we just got blown off. And so when we were traveling, um, and you're on Twitter, um, 
when we were at the airport that morning, when the agent had to call security to clear my little boy, uh, who was five at the time, I, I had enough. So I turned her screen. I don't know if I was allowed to do it, but I turned her check-in screen and it showed his name and he's flagged as designated high profile. And I took a photo of it and I tweeted it out. And I asked Eric Canada, but I tagged Prime Minister Trudeau and a couple other ministers nicely. But I said, can you explain to me why my six-year-old's on the no-fly list? He's six and smiley face. And then I turned my phone off because we managed to make the flight because we're connecting to Boston. We ran and I didn't think anything of it, you know, and I also thought, Tony, who turns on their phone looking at Twitter at 6 a.m. on December 31st? And then when we landed in Toronto, on route to Boston before we had to clear U.S. customs, I turned my phone on. I get a text from my sister and it's in caps and she's like, check Twitter right effing now. And then it blew up and a lot of people picked up on the craziness that a dad's, to your point, taking a little kid to a game. And then all these hundreds and thousands of people started replying and piled in on it. And the next thing you know, we had kind of launched a, a movement, but stumbled into it. But your sense of relentless, a lot of people would have been maybe venting with the Twitter, uh, maybe a letter, but you didn't stop there. You decided that you're going to change this because nobody should be put on that list that doesn't deserve to be. So what did you do? Well, I, I'll be honest, my better half, my wife, who you met, Khadija, I was naive, Tony. I thought, oh, we're going to get this done in a couple of months. And she was like, you're crazy. Like, this is, we're in this for a while. This is going to be a few years. And it's a credit to a lot of the advocates and people who helped us create a movement to say to the government, look, we don't want money. We just want you to fix this. And I didn't realize how difficult it was to, to move on something with the government, even though it's the right cause. But it became Tony, like it wasn't just my little boy anymore. And you have kids like it was more than them. It was other people's kids who didn't have a voice. So we decided to to mobilize and fix this. And it took us five years, but we finally got across the line. This isn't the first or last time that the color of your skin or your name has thrown up a wall in front of you. What are you doing to break it down? And what does it happen in Canada to ensure it doesn't get to ensure it doesn't get rebuilt? Well, that's a good question. I mean, uh, our parents came to Canada as immigrants and they taught me and my sister to work hard and to be thankful for what we have and to help other people, regardless of their race, religion, color, or skin, doesn't matter. Um, my wife also growing up in South Africa, like your wife, um, you know, she grew up in, in, a, in a system that, that, that had that and racism and how to deal with it. And I think it's just to call it out against anybody. Um, you know, it, it isn't just race or religion or skin color it could be someone who's poor. They could be white. And how are they treated? And and I know from stuff that you've shared, you came from humble beginnings and worked your way up. So I, th I think it's just understanding what I've been blessed with and how I can help anyone as a fellow Canadian improve things, right? And I think everyone tries to do that. And I think we're blessed in a country where a lot of people think that way. Um, but I don't, I don't take what I've been given for granted. And I try to help other people because I've been lucky. Like I've had you at the risk of embarrassing you. Um, I had to do a, a panel once as a moderator, and I had never done it before. And someone, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Cook, introduced me to you. And you took a lot of time. You didn't charge me. You didn't ask for anything. And you helped me moderate these panels. And I got feedback later where people are like, this is terrific. How long have you been doing this? And I'm like, this is the first time. So I, I think it's working and helping other people, but also being open to people helping yourself as well. Now, you talk about uh, both of our wives are from South Africa, and I know that you two are such a great team. Share with us when COVID hit and we were caught off guard as a country, remarkably off guard. And I'm not putting blame on anybody because nobody knew this was coming. You decided that one of the most important things was to provide protective gear. 
And as I said earlier in the podcast, instead of just sort of writing a check or doing a little knocking on doors, you started and led a major initiative with your wife. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, yeah, that was in March of last year when everything went upside down. And, and there's a personal reason for it. My mom's in her 70s and she's still a practicing doctor. My father-in-law is a doctor. My brother-in-law is an ER doctor. So when we have close friends who are on the front lines, when not blaming anyone to your point, there, there wasn't the supplies that we needed. So we work with friends and you were part of the original group too when you gave us some ideas as well. As, as humble as you are, you didn't mention that, but I, I think it has to be said. And we, a group of friends got together and said, what can we do? And you'll laugh, one of the ideas was let's create a Tinder for PPE. So basically if you're a doctor or nurse, click here if you need PPE. And if you're a company or organization who has PPE, gloves, gowns, masks, you know, uh, N95 masks, face shields, click here to donate it. And we launched a site and kind of just started doing it and it grew so quickly within a month we we went from six friends to 120 volunteers and it started in toronto but then it grew to gta and then it grew nationally and then Haley wickenheiser got on board and ryan reynolds did and then you know it just kind of expanded from there and that's the credit to a lot of people who who work with us to volunteer and our corporate partners who donated a lot of money to help people so it, it, but i I'd be lying to you, Tony, if I said I knew that that was going to happen. We had no idea that this thing was going to blow up the way it did. And, you know, to a good point where it helped a lot of people across the country. So when you're talking about relentless, it's one thing when you run a company and you can set the pace. But when you're working with a volunteer group, what did you learn about keeping people focused and energized and excited about that desired outcome, knowing that there wasn't a paycheck or anything that was a culture that was going to last or a chance of promotion. It was just about the event. Well, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. Again, um, I think a function of a couple things, I think back then people were feeling really anxious and nervous and some, one of our volunteers, Karen, she was like, I just need to put my energy into something because I'm going to go crazy if I don't do something. So it was to give people an outlet to help other Canadians. And I think by extension, you feel good about yourself. Um, your point on engagement, I've been blessed to work with a lot of leaders and COs over the years to see how they lead. And I think one thing is just acknowledging the other volunteers in the group. So if there's a media hit, we'd let someone with the proper training be interviewed. Or, you know, in our Twitter account, we'd recognize certain driver X or Susan and Hamilton drove all day to do Y. And I think just to, to give them those kind of you know, you got intrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivators like money and those kind of things. But intrinsic is like calling the person and thanking them or one volunteer. I can tell you a story. Natalie uh, Muir, she worked her butt off on Thanksgiving. She actually skipped her Thanksgiving dinner with her family to get her website ready because Ryan Reynolds was going to do a promo to launch the T-shirts. And she skipped it. And, you know, some of the family members were upset or whatever. And then that's when I asked a couple of the celebrities we knew to record just personal videos to thank her and send it to her. And then her husband texted me later and said, like, my, my girlfriend's in tears, my wife's in tears because of that. So I, I think it's just finding those little moments to recognize and thank people sincerely. I think that keeps the energy going. So let's get back to Yoda, the relentless entrepreneur, uh, so highly regarded for your ability to uh, connect the dots between this, this emerging world that's changing at the speed of life and maybe leaders that have taken, uh, you know, spent decades learning with a completely different model. In your pre-interview, though, you described being forced to face the dragon in an early tech startup. Mm. What happened and what did it teach you about yourself that said you could still do things? 
Well, I've never really talked about this publicly before, so I suppose this is the first. Uh, this was the first one of the first tech startups I was involved with, and I was a partner, and I had a certain equity stake, and then things happened, and I was diluted, and I didn't have enough belief in myself compared to the other partners, or so I thought. But then I had to face them down in the right way and say, "No, stand up for yourself." And I think everyone comes through those moments in their life when they have to do it. And that was kind of when a spark changed. And for me, Tony, and I realized you don't need to be afraid. I think if you're, you're, you're leading or guiding yourself with a, like a North Star and certain principles and things, you move forward. And from that, but I also realized you've got to push forward when people tell you you can't do it or you're going to fail. Um, I mean, you ran an agency, a successful one for so many years. I mean, how many times do people tell you you can't do this or it's not going to work? But you kept going. So true. I want to leave with the listener with some life lessons in Yoda. Hmm. Most know that being relentless is sort of an inner quality. We talk about, uh, you know, people that have achieved greatness in science, athletics, innovation, uh, academics, politics, because they're relentless. What advice can you give others and how they can find that switch, that inner drive that goes from being one of many uh, to uh, uh, standing tall and above most? Well, for me, I can only speak from my own experience. It was standing up for the right things and the right principles and how far are you willing to go on certain things. And, and the example for our, our the no fly list was because our child and other kids were on the list and it was wrong. And I didn't want them to face those kind of difficulties later on in life. Um, but I think it's also where you're surrounding yourself with the right kind of people. Any success that I've had in business or any advocacy work is surrounding myself with the right kind of leaders who are better than me. And they'll call you out on your bullshit when you're doing wrong. I mean, I've had times, Tony, where you've called me out on stuff quietly and privately, but you got to be open to feedback. And I think that's how you sustain yourself. But I'd also say that for me, in terms of being relentless, it's being liked is nice, but I think being respected is a deal breaker. We're chatting with uh, Yoda, uh, Suleiman Ahmad. He runs an incredible company. Uh, he's a Yoda to uh, some of the top Fortune 500 company leaders in terms of really getting them to embrace this new digital world. And the lessons I learned today from you, Yoda, are uh, almost too many, but I'll try to just summarize the top three. I love when you talk about the sense of humility. That's it's, that it's not shouting loud that matters. It's just going about getting your job done. And I, combining it with your last thought, it, it's having respect, not necessarily being nice, but earning the respect of a job well done. I, I love the fact that your North Star is not profit, it's a higher purpose, whether it's, I because I, I know, and I've talked to people that work with you, they, they go, he so cares about getting me to where I need to go, uh, to teaching me the things that I need to lead. And I think that's remarkable. And the third thing is that you never ever take credit anything. It's, it's your wife. It's Brian Cook. It's Tony Chapman helped you with this or that. And a great lesson for everybody listening is ultimately that humility is what uh, I admire the most on uh, Suleiman Ahmad. And how do we get hold of you for people listening that want to reach out and take advantage of this Yoda that can uh, uh, accelerate on the digital learning curve? How do they, how do they go about doing it? Um, well, our website for our firm is servoannex.com, S-E-R-V-O-A-N-N-E-X.com. Also, you can reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, I'm there, and uh, they just have to say they're a friend or listener of Tony's, and I'm more than happy to talk to them. Yoda, my friend, uh, word matters. You've mattered to me since the first day I met you with uh, through Brian Cook, and uh, I hope you continue to matter for uh, 
the many decades I plan to uh, to plan to uh, uh, embrace all this life offers us. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm humbled to be on your show. Thanks for everything, Tony. Thank you.